0: Hello and welcome to Marxism Today. This is Red Wagner. I'm your host. Uh, Today, I thought I'd do something a little bit different with the episode. And instead of uh, talking about a particular topic where you just hear me speak the entire time, I have a guest and uh, this episode kind of takes the form of an interview. Uh, My guest is a colleague or friend of mine by the name of Kristen. Kristen, say hi. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh Kristen, would you like to introduce yourself? Let's start off by telling us um a little bit about who you are, maybe where you grew up?
1: I grew up in rural Indiana, I guess, basically in a working class family. I recently found out that my husband now makes as much money as both of my parents combined. Uh, interesting fact and how much I've moved up in the world economically, <laughs> but um I was able to attend fairly prestigious private university, although I'm now suffering for that in the form of enormous student loan debt, but I studied classics, so Greek and Latin at the undergraduate level, and then for some reason I decided to go to graduate, no, not for some reason, I was forced to go to graduate school (laughs) because there were no jobs available (laughs) when I graduated, and um. So I went to graduate school and studied political theory.
0: I, I feel like that what you just said there about how for some reason, and then you went back and thought about it for a little bit and said, I was forced to go to graduate school because there were no jobs available. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like already you're portraying a, a a Marxist frame of mind, yeah where where um where the non-marxist may, that think, well, I made that decision, and so yeah. it was just because I decided to. Yeah. Whereas I I feel like sometimes as Marxists we're a little bit more brutally honest with ourselves mm-hmm. to say, yeah, like based on my... You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be a Marxist to say that, but like mm-hmm. I think it helps a little bit mm-hmm. to to say, well, there was an economic, you know... Mm-hmm. implication to my decision there
1: well I feel like I was lied to growing up because I don't know I feel like probably a lot of Americans buy into this idea that you are in control of your own destiny sort of and you can do whatever you want to do you know growing up I did well in school and my parents and my teachers told me you can be whatever you want to be you can do whatever you want to do and I believed them and I thought that they were right when I got into a really good college then no one ever said to me, if you go to this college, you're going to have, you know, $65,000 in debt when you graduate and a degree that's not really useful. Um, (laughs) a degree that the capitalist economy does not value. Um, or, you know, no one told me you should major in engineering if you want to be able to pay back your student loan debt. Um, Someone did tell my husband that luckily, (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, I thought I could do whatever I wanted to do and it would be fine. And I'd be really successful because I worked hard, but I worked hard. And then when I graduated, I felt like I'd been lied to because I had a lot of debt and no real prospects for paying it off. And I felt like I was forced to go to graduate school because it was my only um sort of opportunity to eventually be able to pay back my debt or anyway I guess that experience did make me think differently about to what extent we're in control of our own lives
0: and I I get the feeling that the, that your your experience there is probably something that's not particular just to you oh yeah right like yeah. the... There, there's just got to be tons of folks out there that have that same story of yeah. I went to school for whatever, and it, you know I, I, I think there's probably a lot of folks who chose something that they may have not even been particularly interested in, but th- chose it because they thought it would help lead to a job, and then there was no job waiting, and so mm-hmm. what? What's the answer? It's you know, go go get more school. Yeah. Which may or may not be a real answer. Who knows? Yeah. But it's at least, it you know, it, it feels like a plan at the time.
1: Yeah. It's something to do other than staying at home, living with your parents and being unemployed. Yeah. For a while, I did think I did feel especially victimized by this. Um, Because I felt going to a private school, I had more debt than most people I knew did or more debt than I would have if I'd gone to a public school. Mm -hmm. But now with a lot of the budget cuts and public education, I feel like a lot of more people are in a very similar situation. Talking to some of my students now who are freshmen, and they're figuring that they'll probably have about the same amount of debt that I did after four years at a public university. Wow yeah so now i don't feel as horrible
0: that's 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 very interesting for uh to me who's no longer in the like college scene at this point to to hear that 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 would be something that's you know an in-state you know at a state school tuition Mm -hmm. someone would be looking at are these in-state students
1: yeah, yeah, this is, wow. like, I'm thinking of a specific student that I was talking to who is, most of my students are in-state, but this one was also in-state student. <clears throat> and he did figure out that he would probably be or have about $60,000 in student loan debt when he graduated and that he felt it would be necessary for him to go to law school afterwards because that would be the only way for him to pay it off. Wow. Even though he would have to go into more debt to go to law school.
0: So I think think what I'd like to start with is the question of just like, very simply, do you consider yourself a Marxist? Like, do you identify as that term, Marxist?
1: I feel like a lot of times I'm trying to figure out in my head if I'm comfortable with that label. I question it a lot. But ultimately, I have never found a better alternative label. So I stick with it.
0: Yeah. And well, I can, I can hear like a certain like reluctance in your answer there.
1: Well, I'm very reluctant to call myself a Marxist publicly. And I don't know to what extent that's because I'm in academic circles right now or... I guess I'm much less reluctant to tell non-academic people that I'm a Marxist than academic people because it's so derided as being simplistic economic determinism like you're just naive and I think there is a discourse that tries to paint university people or academics as all socialists or Marxists. Yeah. Yeah. But and maybe that's particularly why academics are so defensive to critique Marx. I don't know.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, amongst friends or amongst non-academics, you're you're comfortable using that label. But you know when I met you, which was uh, maybe four years ago, five. I, what was it?
1: I had four or five. I don't know.
0: Okay. At that time, you definitely weren't a Marxist. I don't think you were. I Hawaii. didn't
1: know what being a marxist was i mean i didn't have any idea yeah even when i started graduate school as a political theorist i didn't really know
0: i feel like a lot of people that have never studied marx or know very much about marxism wouldn't say well i didn't know enough about what it even meant you know like they'd say i know i don't know what i'm you know like maybe they might not say i know what a marxist is but they'd say i know that i'm not one
1: That is true. I guess I feel like most people that I know who aren't academics will very readily say that they aren't a Marxist. But if they're pressed, they have no idea. They, I mean, they couldn't even come up with a wrong definition, let alone (laughs) the right one. Um, But I feel like it might be might take a. Special amount of humility for me to say I didn't know really know what Marx taught when I start when I started graduate school as a political theorist that was pretty embarrassing
0: really well I mean did your colleagues know
1: yeah well my colleagues had studied political theory in undergraduate work and I uh, hadn't
0: okay yeah no okay that makes sense to me I forgot about that so now now that you do feel comfortable saying that, what does it mean? Cuz I I feel like a lot of folks out there d- like you were saying, you don't didn't even know what it meant to be a Marxist. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like at this point you probably do have an idea of what it means. You know, and it could be a very complex idea, but what what does it mean? Like what are the things that come to mind?
1: I actually, I feel like I got a lot more clarity in my mind about what it meant for me to claim That I'm a Marxist when, in one of my classes, we studied standpoint epistemologies, um, specifically in reference to feminist standpoint epistemologies. But uh, these feminist theorists claimed that their understanding of epistemology came from Marx, basically. And so the idea in standpoint epistemology is that some people are situated in a better way to understand reality than other people which is a really very contentious claim in feminism, uh, especially with the postmodern turn. But um, I think it if you think about it in the way that um, Marx, what Marx does in Capital, where he says, I think he says all political economists up to this point have sort of um, evaluated capitalism based on what it does for rich people and how well it operates for rich people or how well it operates for governments, for nation states. And what I'm going to do is say, look at the lives of your common person or your working person and say, how well is capitalism working out for them? And let's build a theory based around that, that reflects, you know, average people's experience. And so then I think feminists also sort of ran with that idea and said, well, how well are our institutions and our economic systems working out for women? So on that basic level, I think there's that link between Marxism and feminism. And that's sort of the very general approach I like, like to use to look at the world. And that's why I like to think of myself as a Marxist and a feminist.
0: You know, I'm glad that you went in the direction of bringing feminism into the context here because in my experience, and maybe, you know, who knows if this is true or not, the women that I've met in general have been far more open to the ideas of Marxism or maybe maybe not even more open but just more accepting of it than have the men that I've met and i sometimes ponder about the link between feminism and marxism in that i mean i f- because a lot of the marxist critiques follow a, a a pattern that may be familiar to feminists where you're critiquing a structure yeah. and you say things like well The point is not to say that this individual person did something wrong or that this individual person Mm -hmm. was not acting correctly or something like that, but rather that there is a larger structure Mm -hmm. behind all of this Mm -hmm. which is creating problems for, you know, a, a larger group of people.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was Catherine McKinnon in an essay, a feminist essay tried to point people towards this structural examination and say it doesn't really matter if this individual man is sexist or not. Like she gives the specific example of a man opening a door for a woman. She says probably when a man does that, he only has benign, you know, motivations. He's just trying to do a nice thing for her. But she says if you put it into a larger structural context of how women have been, quote, protected by men or sheltered by men, Um, or seen as needing to be protected by men. You know, she thinks that act takes on maybe a different significance when placed in a larger structural context. I mean, I don't think any of us would say it's like a really terrible, grave injustice, right? So it's maybe not a very good example. Um,
0: Well, I think it's a great example to highlight the, the distinction to be made there, right? Like, in the same sense that, um, you know, like w- one thing that anti-feminists will like to bring up is, oh, when when s- some lowly person um, held the door open for Margaret Thatcher, mm-hmm. was that because Margaret Thatcher was seen to be weak in that man's eyes? Mm-hmm. And the idea is, that's that's analyzing one particular situation, and the point isn't to say that, you know, all situations fall into this category. Or that, mm-hmm. um, or that the analysis is made for indiv- you know, mm-hmm. to apply to each and every one hundred percent individual situations. But like mm-hmm. you said, what what does it mean in a larger context mm-hmm. where you know this has been the perceived notions and things like that?
1: Right. With that, um, understanding, I have less of a problem with standpoint epistemology because a lot of feminists have critiqued it because they think the theory behind it is that there's sort of like one specific individual woman that it's supposed to be based off the experiences of that one individual woman, or that it must involve some sort of essentializing view of women. Whereas I guess I like to look at it more broadly and more structurally to say, well, if we're going to evaluate our government institutions or our economic systems, we have to look at how they affect women. And so as a Marxist, the same thing, like we have to look at how they affect the most vulnerable aspects of our population, say the workers or, you know, those with fewer life opportunities.
0: Here's an interesting thing that I don't think we've talked about before that, but that I would be really interested in knowing. I know that uh, or at least I assume that a lot of your exposure to Marxism came based on the fact um, that we were friends between yes. our friendship.
1: Yes, and let me just say that I gained a much greater understanding of Marxism from you than from any of my professors.
0: Oh, wow. I'll take that as a compliment.
1: That's great. Well, it's <laughs> not as good of a compliment as my <laughs>
0: <laughs> because they know so little is that what
1: Well, I shouldn't say that. I do have one professor who knows a lot, but most of them really don't.
0: And I'm kind of curious as to what your perceptions of Marxism were uh before meeting me or 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 maybe the first time that you heard me talk about it something like that. Like the the earlier Kristen what were what were earlier Kristen's thought the 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 thoughts of a Kristen who wouldn't have felt like she could call herself a Marxist
1: I honestly can't remember I'm looking at Kevin to see if he remembers me saying anything I really I, I don't recall you maybe, being
0: too concerned with economics in general um yeah for a long while I mean Eventually, yeah, uh, it became one of your main interests. but
1: Despite the fact that I'm a political theorist, I was never really honestly very interested in politics or economics. <laughs> and, but the thing is, though, I was always open. I think I was always open to whatever you would say. I don't think I was ever closed off.
0: You've always had uh, a definite soft spot for like the downtrodden or oppressed within a society
1: oh yeah for sure always been very compassionate i guess
0: yeah and i think i like the thing that i remember is that like you seemed interested not not so much like tell me no more i need to learn more but like Oh my God, you're really a Marxist? Like, really? People like that exist? And, like, what does it mean? Yeah,
1: I mean, if you would listen to my professors, they basically think Marxists don't exist. mm -hmm. And they'll tell you that. And you've heard them say that. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Which is, like, bizarre today, especially with, like, what I would call the flourishing of Marxism since, since the financial crisis. Right. But. I I remember you asking me things like, "Well, okay, based on like the ethics of Marxism, or like maybe not, you maybe not said it in this way, but like asking, okay, what does it mean to be a Marxist? Like, how can you live in a capitalist world when you're a Marxist?" I do
1: remember asking that question because I was thinking about Christianity and like, is it like being a Christian where Christians are like, "Well, oh, this is all secular crap." And you're a Marxist, you're like, oh, this is all bourgeois crap. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that it must imply a separation from the world.
0: Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, it kind of does. This is really peculiar and something that probably a lot of Marxists don't want to hear said. But I think there's a strong correlation, a strong connection between hardcore Christians and hardcore Marxists in the sense that um, we we may both say things like, Oh, that's a secular newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, like no, no, mm-hmm. like non-hardcore Christian would ever mm-hmm. feel the need to say the word "secular mm-hmm. newspaper." Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same way, a hardcore Marxist will say a bourgeois newspaper mm-hmm. to distinguish it from a Marxist newspaper. Mm-hmm. Like, and no, no, non-Marxist would ever feel the need to say, "Oh, yeah, that's a bourgeois newspaper," like Wall Street Journal bourgeois newspaper.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it is now as a Marxist, I do feel like it seems like there should be lines that you have to draw, but it's hard to say what those are because you're forced to such an extent, you know, to buy into the system that it's like are any of the lines that I draw actually meaningful? You know, like is shopping at Target instead of Walmart in any way meaningful?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, and that I mean, that's something that not even Marxist, but like other folks on the left who are like slightly concerned with like the economic implications mm-hmm. of their actions have to struggle with because I'm sure there's lots of folks who are, who don't identify as Marxist who won't shop yeah, at Walmart. That's
1: true. Yeah. I'm thinking a difference is the end goal that you have in mind and whether or not you think that you can have a just system under our current system with just some reforms, like that you can achieve all you need to achieve with your union um, rather than the Marxist understanding that the system is inherently exploitative. I honestly think that one belief that's starting to become more popular, that a lot of people are starting to hold without recognizing that it has Marxist elements to it, is sort of a dissatisfaction or critique of the government, and the extent to which our government is sold out to special interests, the extent to which political outcomes are determined by who has the most money. So in that sense, I think, because there is this growing dissatisfaction, which appeals So then the right has a lot of convincing stories, though, uh, to tell you about solving that problem, I guess, and just privatizing more things and shrinking the government further um, and strengthening the neoliberal state, I guess, in that sense, or scaling back in a neoliberal way. So because I see, I think, a lot of dissatisfaction with the government I guess I see a lot of ripening for people who would be open to Marxist ideas if they were taught them or had easy access to them on the Internet.
0: And I I think that kind of begs an interesting question, which which I kind of want to ask you in your experience as a poli-sci grad student who's teaching undergrads, which is at some point – I assume in undergrad poli-sci studies, Marx comes up. Yes. And the question is, what do undergrads think of Marx before you begin teaching it? Like, what are their um, preconceived it's notions?
1: really interesting that Marx is unique, I would say, in the canon of Western political thought as being the one thinker that students will be very comfortable vocally... Um, being very vocal about how wrong he is without really knowing anything about him. Um,
0: okay. Cause they wouldn't do that about like Tocqueville or Hume they've or, never,
1: no. or students Jefferson have or anything never, like that. Ever said, done this for any other thinker ever where, because my students don't know that I'm a Marxist. So I feel very comfortable. Like, I guess if they knew I was a Marxist, I would feel like I, needed to not be too f- forward with it or to like openly advocating Marxist ideas, because then I feel like they would write me off as being like, Oh, she's just a Marxist. So that, of course she would say that. So I don't tell them I'm a Marxist. So I feel very comfortable explaining Marxist ideas to them. And, uh, you know, as if they might be true or as if they're relevant or, you know, interesting in some way, like I feel comfortable presenting Marxist ideas to them in a positive light And I feel comfortable doing that before we've actually covered Marx. So I feel comfortable if we're, you know, talking about, I don't know, anyone in the history of political thought prior to Marx and something about class or economics comes up, I feel comfortable, you know, making a digression to Marx. This just happened the other day. We were talking about religion and politics. No, we're talking about Protestantism and capitalism. And so... Wow the sort of connection between Protestantism and capitalism. And I mentioned that Max Faber famously wrote uh, a book saying that um, that Protestantism sort of led to capitalism, sort of the opposite of the Marxist argument. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I also presented the Marxist argument that and what I said, though, was that um, according to Marx capitalism sort of required an ideological justification for that economic system. And they found that justification in, you know, the Protestant idea of the work ethic and, you know, the individual and all these sorts of ideas that weren't really present before. They weren't really present in Christianity before the Protestant reformation. And so a student then interjects and says, well, that's just historically wrong. Um, just like and very dismissive as if like he was just saying with his one sentence he disproved Marx by his one you know, like he just wanted to make it that simple and that easy. And one of my other I didn't even say anything, one of my other students said, Well, you misinterpreted her remark. She didn't say that according to Marx, um, capitalism caused was a, you know, the causal factor in creating Protestantism because I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Um and, but then I, you know, I said, well, even if I had said that, you're not really right. It's much more complicated than that historically, how these, you know, how capitalism came to be. It's not as if there were, you know, no, there was no inkling or beginning of capitalism when the Protestant Reformation happened. Uh-huh. But so, I mean, that just happened the other day. And it always happens if I mention Marx that my students feel very comfortable interjecting, um, With some sort of remark that they think is historically accurate, or you know, whatever, just to say that they've disproved Marx with one sentence and written him off as a joke, basically, which is really interesting, I think, because they would never say that about anyone else, and they, by their remark, they reveal they don't really know anything about Marx, and they would never dream of saying that about someone they've never read.
0: Yeah, like so, like as if in in the circle of academics you are allowed to discuss Marx as long as you at some point then say and he's wrong because such and such. Like it's okay to bring him up, but you always need to add that extra piece and if you forget to do it they'll, they'll do add it for me. Yes, exactly.
1: I mentioned Marx this happens. It's not sometimes. It's very reliable. I'll be honest with you, at the risk of sounding sexist, it is always a male student who does this. I think they tend to, for whatever reason, feel more pressure, show their expertise, or push themselves as some knowledge base. The professors I've worked with don't make it easy for students to gain any kind of understanding about how Marx's real writings are different from how they're presented.
0: You know, another thing that I wanted to ask you about Kristen is the the how Marxism is perceived amongst the professors and grad students that you work with. So we talked a little bit about what it's like working with the undergrads and talking about Marxism. But then when you're in a more professional setting, you know, amongst colleagues, how is Marxism perceived there?
1: I guess I would draw a distinction this is really funny. One of my professors explicitly draws a distinction between Marxian and Marxist, and I know you've oh, yeah. heard him do this. And I don't frequently hear people think this distinction, but I do think it's useful in thinking about how academics in my department treat Marxism because some like thinkers who are derivative of Marx, like Habermas or even Roncier, I know they're like really academic um, people who, you know, I guess I would just say their work is in some way derivative of Marx. Um, it's perfectly acceptable to be into those type of thinkers and to be interested in them and thinking about them and reading them but it's really not acceptable to call yourself a marxist or be really interested in marx or have really positive things to say about marx
0: yeah yeah i i get the feel that there's certain like there's the there's the in and the out right like there's there's a certain line where there's certain thinkers that you can or cannot study in academia without being like ostracized Which, so like mm-hmm. lenin for sure he's out like mm-hmm. no way you can't take lenin yeah you don't get lenin right uh trotsky probably not no uh rosa Luxemburg,
1: eh, maybe probably Marginal. not though yeah, yeah
0: exactly like you gotta really you have pick to and be in radical
1: circles like in a gender and women's studies department something yeah something like
0: that yeah yeah and and then you know, like you were saying, like Habermas, that's mm-hmm. probably, like, pretty safe to do, like, yeah, certain. Or, like, uh, Foucault is probably fine. Like, oh, yeah, even though
1: Foucault is very popular. Yeah, like, not explicitly well, Marxist, I yeah. guess,
0: but, like, you could definitely see someone in the Marxist tradition claiming him yeah. as, as, you know, being part of their yeah. tradition.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, for my professors, if they do think about class... They do analyze class in the text they read. Um, they sometimes <clears throat> will be sure to explicitly say, I am not inspired by Marx, or I'm not doing a Marxist analysis. I'm inspired by some other people who thought about class. Um, or I'm inspired by the common people versus the elites in the ancient Greek polis, or, you know, whatever, like some really obscure thing, rather than saying, I study class as. You know, inspired by Marx.
0: It's it's interesting that they feel the need mm-hmm. to make that distinction mm-hmm. because because if there wasn't a stigma around mm-hmm. uh, Marx, you, there'd be no need to say that, right? Like mm-hmm. when, like I don't that like when no one ever says. Oh, when I talk about class, I am not prescribing to the views of Max Weber.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just
0: so we're clear, I'm not yeah. a Weberian or something yeah. like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. The idea that you can't even talk about class without, you know, opening yourself up to the charge of being a Marxist or a socialist.
0: Mm-hmm. This episode is part of the Marxism Today podcast series. Marxism Today is recorded, mixed, edited, produced, and maintained by Red Wagner. It is distributed freely and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. To find out more about the Marxism Today podcast, visit our website at marxismtodaypodcast.wordpress.com where you can find archives of all of our episodes available for download. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: Do I have to answer the questions that you ask? Or can I answer different questions? <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's what politicians do now.
0: Yeah, you can do whatever you want.